Hello, hello. Welcome back to Void. This is season three, episode two. You're joined by your boy Stan, aka El Chapo, aka the Sauce Boss. <laughs> and I'm here today with Ray Wanjao, the one and only. And Master Eugene Oigara, Mr. Make the Moves. No <laughs> no chat, just action. Yes, sir. So today we want to discuss uh, local industries here in Kenya. We want to discuss what it takes to become a powerhouse and how to get started, barriers of entry, and really just the environment in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Started, we'll talk to Mr. Ray. Uh, um. Well, basically, no matter what industry you're getting into, no matter where you want to be in business or in the job market, each industry has its own dynamics here. Each industry has its suppliers and its consumers and its various middlemen. So if you're looking to make money anywhere in the world, you need to understand where am I getting into, what position am I taking up, and how will I get my profits from it, you know? So let's say, for example, you want to be in the meat industry. You have to identify whether you're going to be a farmer, whether you're going to be a processor, a packager, or a marketer, or even a retailer. So all these various steps each step of the way has what you call value addition to it. Yeah. And so... Supply chain, basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each step of the supply chain, man, there's various opportunities to make money. So never say you can't make money in the industry. Maybe you might not be able to make money in a certain point in the supply chain, but look for another step, get back into the grind, do your research, find out. And so we're going to give you guys a little bit of a roadmap today. We see if you can help you out, make a decision, where you want to get into and we look at a couple of key industries. So telecommunications, um, you know, the food industry, various stuff, the basic essentials. So yeah, to get us started off now, we're going to chat about the telecommunications industry. And as the man with experience in this, Buena Eugene, take us through it. How has it been for you in that industry? <laughs> okay. Um, so number one, in society, in order for society to function, you need a few basic pillars. You need food, you need well-being, and you need communication. I don't think there's anything that I've missed out. Those are the three essential pillars of life. You must eat, you must communicate, and you must be healthy. Mm-hmm. Mentally, physically, no matter what. That's Those are the three pillars that build a society. So communication um what has what has made humans humans apart from being the the you know being so self entitled and you know, <laughs> just thinking that they're better than everyone language is is the fact that they are i mean the the communication of humans can be so varied you know one message can be sent out in a hundred thousands of different ways, you know? And and in order to grow society, people must be able to communicate in order for people to grow, not just economically, even just even growing. Just you think you think the guy who first found out how to bottle water, how did he find out he asked someone else? Mm-hmm. Or he asked himself those questions. How do you bottle this water? That is communication. Yeah. 
you know yeah. me if i want to yeah. even this is communication is a, not even an industry is a key pillar of any business you know you must communicate your product you must market it you must convince someone to buy it. that is all communication mm-hmm. you know but so when it comes to the entire industry communication is so big we have things from telecoms to internet companies to social media companies to you know people to companies that are just doing voice chat and all these other things so you know the the when i was in the industry I was focusing on internet and the internet has truly become apart from Eng- probably even a bigger language than english it's just that most people don't consider it language but Ray, what language do most computers run on? Uh, what, Java, code. Python, yeah, code. They run on code. That's the, code is the biggest language in the world. Yeah. Forget about English, Chinese, all the other stuff. Code mm. runs the world, communication. But apart from that, the four biggest languages are what? English, French, Arabic, um, Arabic and Spanish. Chinese, Chinese. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, I, I said English, Chinese, French, Arabic, and maybe Spanish. Yeah. You know, so the ability to communicate, the ability to allow humans to communicate, whoever can provide a solution where humans can communicate with each other can reap the rewards monetarily. There'll be extreme gains, as you've seen. The people who connected the world, not just the guys of the internet, the guys who truly use the internet for communication, social media giants like Facebook, look at the valuations now. Look at the, the people who had those companies, their valuations now. Do you see that insane amount of monetary value that just come out of allowing people to communicate yeah exactly man and so wait actually before we go and just connect correction i think uh gujarati indian is one of the largest just a correction there and then now for you to get to this industry called telecommunications since it's such a big industry that's been here for a couple of years and everything do you think it's feasible for maybe a young entrepreneur to think about getting into that into what into telecommunications telecommunications wow now the telecommunications as a business as a whole um it's one i would like to call an industry that you truly have to be determined to enter it has high barriers for entry it has a high chance for failure and it's no i'm just talking about the kenyan telecommunications outside of kenya and africa yeah go for it it's quite easy to do it but inside here um it's i will i will like if you want to do it do it but just know the barriers to entry are high number one why to to allow people to communicate you need to build out infrastructure you need to build out telecom towers you need to build out internet cables which lay out all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. you know you need to build out digital networks how do you think people are, can buy credit through ussd you have to build out all that stuff mm-hmm. and that's money um especially now in kenya we've seen the, the market is consolidated You already seen how much money Safaricom pulls in a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? Safaricom has almost 60% of the market. And they keep saying Safaricom brought Airtel to its knees. Airtel Kenya. Airtel has operations in Tanzania, the whole of Asia, um Mexico. I'm not sure about Europe, but Airtel is humongous. Yeah, and another thing. Africa is a billion dollar company. They brought to their knees. Another yeah. thing you can see there is the 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 financial barriers what do you think about that stuff? I think financially speaking as Eugene has said infrastructure is not cheap. Yeah. Um we've been given an example of how much it costs to lay down uh, fiber optic cables, I believe, just internet cable uh for 4 kilometers. That can run you a million dollars. Jesus Christ. Imagine. So just What? Uh, 
from what? the permits to the workload to setting it up to oh. connecting to existing infrastructure you know as the bills spend now keep stacking up then yeah. it becomes tougher and tougher and for someone like safaricom who can do that six maybe seven times in seven different locations each day you can probably only do that maybe once or twice a year you see so mm-hmm. in terms of capital it plays a huge role in ensuring your success and your dominance in that industry but um one last one thing i'd also like to and apart from the barriers to entry is just apart from the high cost of entry in kenya if i was going to do telecommunications it's just the cost of acquiring your customers bro mm-hmm. you understand the cost the of acquiring your customer is too great you know you might build out your entire let's say if supposedly you build out entire infrastructure spent about 10 million dollars to build out a 4g network in i don't know kisumu <laughs> maybe 20 million dollars so you've done all that and 60% of the market is on safaricom the rest of the 40 is on fragmented carriers mm-hmm. so what you're going to have to do number one, is convince people to get out of mpesa how are you going it's like it's like someone telling you Ray, um stop drinking water <laughs> use it every day you have to it's part of your life what you understand is the same way in america card is regarded as daily life and pesa here if you don't have mpesa guys will even look at you like what yeah, like what are you, <laughs> what are you doing with your life fam you know how we supposed to like not having mpesa has become such a detriment to you in society yeah. that you must so the cost that you as a company will spend to move somebody away from mpesa might be too great in terms of marketing but also what you don't realize is you're competing with someone like safaricom giants who are on their toes they are being kept on their toes because in order to maintain stay that high they have to be on their toes they're marketing are geniuses they have more resources they have more everything but at the end of the day, this is what entrepreneurship is about it's about challenging the bigger players with a more innovative product and if somebody truly can this is how you do it if i was going to do it this is how you do it how do you remove impressor hmm i mean you could what you do this, this is what you do you move them you move why why does impressor you have to ask your question the question why does impressor have to be why does my mobile money have to get attached to my phone number mm-hmm. is there another way another way to identify my accounts without that sim card Boom, if you do figure that out and it, and then lastly is there a way to integrate this new payment system with the existing one so imagine a way to integrate tcash airtel money safaricom all that stuff if you can if those are questions which you have yes answers to then do it as i said outside of kenya outside of africa it's very easy to get into telecommunications you know i mean e-sims are extremely cheap you know how many challenger companies just create their own e-sims and tap into existing like for example in the in europe if i wanted to let's say build a let's say a cellular network i could lease out some existing network from someone else and white label it mm-hmm. make it seem like that's real slap a brand image. you know and then and then and then from there you grow your business you don't know what white labeling is it's basically let's say um you let's say you want to sell a tablet um ray you you produce all the tablets in the world me and Stanley want to sell tablets so I will do is I'll come buy a tablet from you but then I'll brand it with my brand and sell it as my own Stanley will do the same thing with his own brand that's what white labeling is you get the basic product let's say the tablet let's say me I'll put my own OS on mine Stanley puts his own OS make it my own product stuff like that mm-hmm. you don't like uh, but you know um yeah start, start, start to like that, but yeah. like 
they come from China, from one factory, but you have different brands putting their own names on different routers. Yeah. Hey, no, not with routers, not with routers, hey, not with Wi-Fi yes, routers. Yeah. Not with Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi routers and Wi-Fi routers are extremely different with extremely different brands. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, okay. Especially like if you look at companies like D-Link, NetGear, all these guys, they all have every. This is also one reason why it's also so hard to get into routers. Why I wanted to create 3D printed ones. All the technology is patented. They're so they're so fragmented. You'll see D-Link has patented one technology. NetGear has their own patents. Mirata has their own patent. All these other guys have their own patents, and everyone is trying to make differentiate their own products. Nobody knows how to produce what that other person is producing. Because it's a trade secret. If you're now trying to get into telecommunications now as a point of advice, since uh, we're in the business of giving solutions, not just ranting. um, Honestly, if it's an industry where it's mature to the point of telecommunications where everyone has built out the infrastructure and everything, it might not be possible for you as an entrepreneur listening to this to try and challenge the big dogs right now without capital investments. So what you could either do is a look for now the initial investment from somebody, uh, you know, venture capitalist or maybe a loan or whatever, or you could look for a niche market, um, look for another step along the chain, you know, the chain of production, like Stanley was telling us. So it all depends what you want to do. So if you want to get into telecommunications, instead of going for the, you know, the producers, the raw products, which would be the infrastructure, the communications, look for the middleman stuff. You know, look for whether you can improve someone's network, look for whether you can optimize the bandwidth, look for whether you can do some system organizing for them or something, but small, small stuff here and there right. will get you far, yeah. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship is not about you can't. Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen Elon Musk turn a can't into can? True, true. How many times? He did it without substantial capital. Most of the times he's defied impossibilities, did it without substantial capital. Did it when his company is almost running bankrupt. Mm-hmm. So I said, Mike, you see? with the help of capital from investors, you can. So, so what I will say is, all right, telecommunications, make sure, you, make sure you've, you have the most innovative product possible. And not just innovative at the, oh, my network is 10% fast. You genuinely have to have a selling point that somebody will be like, oh my God, they'll forget they have attachments to that current network provider to move on. So, I mean, if you're going to enter, you either become a middleman or you become the biggest innovator. Mm-hmm, middleman, you don't need much capital. Biggest innovator, you need the capital, but since you have the biggest idea, I don't think it should be that hard to acquire that capital. But anyway, telecommunications business. Big-ass business. Um, the whole industry as a whole is extremely big. There's so many different possibilities you can do, you know, like even if you don't want to do telecommunications, what if you want to make some money communi- communi- connecting communications to people, the best way to do it is by connecting. Is uh, If you want to do this, build a data center. You don't even have to build a big one. Build a tiny data center. Lease it out to Amazon or Google or even a local company. Yeah. They'll take it. Liquid telecom, because, JCL. Yeah. You know, just, just, you know, if you want to be, and also build infrastructure slowly, but surely you can't be like Safaricom going to Kisumu, Nairobi, Mombasa at once. You know, I don't know if Amazon would work because I know they have their own data centers built specifically with their own specifications and modeling because of this internal software they run, but possibly maybe local companies, JTL, Safcom, Liquid Telcom, that would be a good idea to look into. True story. Mm-hmm. Okay, as far as I know with Amazon, 
All right, fine. Anyway, yeah. I think that's it for the telecom sector. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, now other essential industries, bro, like you said, communication, health, food. We're going to go into something which we have probably an expert with us over here. Uh, our main <laughs> man, the source of El Chapo. <laughs> Uh, basically the food industry it's another essential if you're not eating you're literally dying unless you have some weird supplements but that's for my business so how does it work are the dynamics different is the same process seen in telecommunications and food since they're essential take us through time yeah so i wouldn't really um, place the same kind of emphasis that the telecommunication industry has mm-hmm. and i'm saying that in the sense of like one day controlling everything i wouldn't say the same about the food industry mm-hmm. i would say that a lot of it is very diversified for the sake of quality and of course economies of scale and at the same time i would also say that it's really competitive because a lot of the food industries first come first are best price if you don't, that simply won't apply. And that's at all levels of uh, types of customers that you're trying to choose, whether corporates, individuals, yeah. or uh, whatever kind of customer you're trying to reach. So personally, from my own experience, I've realized that that is driven innovation, you see? And the most innovative yet simple companies are the ones that make it, you see? You don't want to bring things so new and so different culture but it completes the more simply because they don't understand yeah but if you bring something that already is there but reimagine yeah that's what people vibe with and will it and um that's yeah. what i did for my brand habanero yeah so instead of doing what the bigger companies such as let me not mention their names uh <laughs> i decided <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know what kind of lawsuit I'll attract. <laughs> but yeah, I saw that <laughs> there was no originality in the sources. There was no, there was no human touch to it. Is what I'm trying to say. It felt so commercial, and to me, I really asked myself, you know, is this even worth consuming? Yeah, if you're eating mm-hmm. this just for the spice effect, then by all means, I'm not gonna hate on you. It's not gonna run you much in terms of cost. But the reality is you're probably buying something that's been on the shelves for seven, eight months, you know, and they claim yeah. it's fresh. <laughs> yeah. I call what? Up. I don't know if you agree with me. Processed wait, sources. wait, wait. Did we just repeat what you just Processed said? Processed sources, yeah. Why, why do you think they add oh, preservatives? Oh, okay. Yeah, I died. I died. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the preservatives they use cause the products to last even two years. You see, so you might be eating something from back in 2019. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a bit crazy. I figured, you know, these guys, as much as they're making profits, at what cost? You know, the health of the people, uh, the self-valuation that you're putting on people. Because uh, guys will decide, you know, because it's cheap and it's available, I'm going to buy it. And of course, that's a concept for that's a concept for mass production. Yeah, things like matchboxes and so on. But I wasn't trying to capture the industry like that. You see, mm-hmm. I saw that there's a market that's deserving of quality. Something that's actually, actually beneficial to you and something that tastes great and is priced fairly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
clients, you really have to get your brain working to put you're really connecting to the people that you're trying to connect to. Yeah. So the food industry in general, it's an amazing place because as you've said, Ray, you have to eat. If you don't, you're dying. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's almost always a guarantee that you're going to identify a reasonable customer base. Yeah. Now, here's my question. Um, as someone in the food industry, because of course the food industry is one of those rare industries where people like variety, you know, food, fashion. So with people looking for different options and everything, um, since it's not like JTO, people just flooded the masses to the most widespread option. How do you manage to convince guys with such quick changing, you know, trends that your product is the product, you know? Is it just pure honesty or do you have to do some marketing, sneaky stuff here and there? How does that work? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> from a personal standpoint that the more genuine you are with your brand, uh, the better it will do, you know, rather than trying to go or rather hide behind some cliche marketing efforts. You know what I mean? Yeah, when people mm-hmm. see that what you're making is coming from your heart and it's generally a, pro- a product made of quality, then they're going to buy it for sure. Yeah. Now, in terms of variation uh, and keeping up with the times, I think that's now a matter of putting your brand in the moment. Recently, we had Lent. And I... uh, wishing people yeah, of how people uh, engaged of happening to them right there right in the moment we had valentine's mm-hmm. day we had new years we had all events that i created graphics for and um you know till this day even without um advertising i still get orders you know uh, so say that just mm-hmm. just be genuine <laughs> yeah if you want to make food okay. because being lied to or uh, sort of deceived, especially when it's something that's going into their body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, damn. I mean, I ain't gonna add anything else. Yeah, you heard it from the expert himself, but now from the economist as well. Uh, this is a different question, but still related to the food industry. When you start talking about growth and scalability in any industry, but specifically for the food industry, since it's something that's so technical and human-based. Eugene, how would you go about scalability in the food industry for any entrepreneurs looking to get into that? Okay. Um, So, firstly, as I like to say there, um, what I just told us is now a sector of the particular industry we're talking Mm -hmm. about. So we're talking about sources and snacks, if I'm not wrong. What category do sources fall under? Condiments. Mm, yeah. Condiments. Okay. Yeah. So talk about the condiment sector. Um, so the condiments business scalability. Hmm. Okay, so we're gonna look at this from two ways. So number one, we're gonna look at it from the condiments business side and then from the food industry as a whole. So as the food industry as a whole, there's so many places where you can start a business in the food industry. There's so many sectors. You know, you can do condiments, you can do raw ingredients, um, you can do finished products, you can do half-finished products, you can do all sorts of manner of things 
in the industry. So, you know, for example, you can supply eggs, you can supply vegetables, um, you can sell sauces, you can sell, you know, like foods on menus and items. Um, you can sell dog food, you can sell feed for animals, you can sell everything on this planet needs to eat. You, need to, you can feed, you can sell plant food, you can sell, what else? Like there's so much, there's so many things you can do. Yeah, different aspects the of the same industry. industry. So, so, but when it comes to scalability, scaling is always something that I guess will always be consistent, no matter if it's in an industry or a business, especially in the food industry. Um, scalability. So scaling number one is a matter of number one, is there enough demand for you to scale? And then number two, why are you scaling? That's the most important question you need to ask. Are you scaling because you need to make more money? Okay, fine, that's a good reason to scale, but you know it's a better reason to scale? There's more demand than supply for my product. Oh, okay. I mean, honestly. If there's more demand than supply for my product and I keep producing, then I can, you know, if, 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 you, want, if you want to produce, let's say you want to scale to make more money, what will you do? I just want you to do. You'd say, okay, let's say right now I'm producing 100 of units of, 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 let's say, sauce um, at a unit cost of $5 each. Um, I'm probably selling them for like $10 each. Those are 50% margins, you know? So I have demand of 100 units. Uh, let's assume, I'm not really good at math. Let's assume we're making, what, $1,000 from that. So, and you've put in $500, yeah? So you want to scale, you want to say, okay, financial 200 units. So you'll, you'll, okay, so you'll, let's say you now have to, to put in $1,000 to produce these units. But if there is no, if there is no certified demand for that, are you really going to recoup your costs or will you be running at a loss? Honestly, you have to go for the market first and then go to scale the products. Exactly, that's the point. But scaling in food is, is, is seems to be something, you know, you know, there's linear scaling and then there's the stupid scaling that people usually think about. You know, there's that scaling where you scale two, three percent a year. <laughs> the guys who scale, this, this, you know, when guys here scale, they like to think, oh, 100 percent gains. What <laughs> kind of scale is that, bro? That's no, no, that's no scale. And in the food industry, this two to three percent scaling model is what truly works. You look at farms. Yeah, let's even look at just average demand. Let's mix up some figures here. This, people need to eat. Things need to be fed. Every year, more people are born. Every year, more things are produced. Every year, there are more trees, more plants, more stuff. More food needs to be produced. At an average growth rate of 2%, let's say if I'm producing vegetables, this year, I aim to produce 1,000 units a month of these vegetables. Next year, I might aim to produce 1,100 units per month. The next year, 1,500, like that, like that, like that. I keep scaling with market demand. I don't scale more than I need to, and I don't scale less than I have to. That's the good thing about the food, the bear. The food industry. One thing I realize is they are humongous players. I'll give an example. You know, eighty percent of Kenya's eggs are from where? Uganda. <laughs> why? You want to know oh. why? Does anybody know why? Mm. So Royal Dutch came to Africa to build out a plant for egg, for an egg farm. Um, one of the biggest in the continent. It was meant to produce, to produce more than the continent was producing at that point in one plant. So you know, they came to Kenya, and Kenya's usual bureaucracies. Oh it's God. a 10 million dollar plant kind of lost a 10 million dollar plant went to uganda they funded it they built it up now it's producing all it's producing more eggs than every single country in africa combined mm. uganda is the monopoly on eggs. they're not a monopoly they just have all the supplies you can imagine wow. trying to scale with somebody who's built that and you trying to scale are you going to try and scale like that guy or are you going to try and scale in a more sustainable way? you know i think it depends now on what your business is doing so let's take stanley for example 
the exporting sources, I feel like you can either go horizontal scaling or vertical. So you can either do the same thing in the same industry. So let's say sources, condiments, say scaling in terms of getting more products in the same sort of product range, or you can go in the terms of more units, lower costs, or you can cut across the board and go for different sectors of the food industry. So let's say Stan, if you wanna go and I don't know, sell pastries, you can now get into the process of making those. Or if you wanna now head into the sector of where you're um, doing some drinks, it's still generally in the food and beverages industry, where you're doing the same step in the corporate you know, process as a producer and then going out into different products items. Yeah. <laughs> That's and then one last thing is when it comes to kind of matter scale, I think a lot of you know a lot of people do 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 think of a lot of money as having a big business. Scale equals money. People attach those things to those things. I mean, we've seen humongous companies. Some of the numbers that that those S and P five hundred companies remove every year don't even make sense. You know, and just for you to realize this, just look at how common it's become. How 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 a billion has become such a common number. <laughs> you know, and that does that, mean that people want to associate the scale of that to that number. But you see, people don't realize is there's a lot of money to be made in the middle, mm-hmm. even at the bottom level. If me, I'm producing a hundred, let's say I'm producing a hundred units of cabbage a month and the market demand, like I'll give you, actually give you an example of one thing I'm looking at is avocados. Mm-hmm. In Kenya, there are some certain guys who have almost 50,000 hectares of avocados. What? Yeah. I'm not going to compete with those guys. I mean, I can't, I'm not going to compete on their scale, but that doesn't mean there's no money to be made. I can go produce my thousand avocados on my one, two acre farm. And in a year, not even in a year, in a month of maybe doing 500 units, uh, market price of 50 bob, that's how much? 20, $2,500 a month, roughly. That's good mm-hmm. money. That's good money. I can keep making that 2,500 a month every month for the next 12 years or for the next even two years. Where will I be, right? It's still gonna be it. Rather than I'll, I'll still I'll have quite exactly. a lot of funds, and and then from there I can start scaling slowly. But surely, you know, I start hopping on to, you know, maybe the next maybe the next three to four years I start looking at adding another acre of avocados. Yeah. You know, just be, just because I'm not doing that ten thousand hectares that somebody has, and I'm not making that three four million dollars a year, doesn't mean I shouldn't be happy with my twenty five thousand thirty thousand dollars. Exactly. Year. Yeah, I think now the whole idea is slowly but surely gets you to the goal. And people underestimate the power of compounding. I don't know how relevant that is in the food industry. Oh my God, that we have to have our own we'll episode talk that, about But maybe Stan can give us a short example of how, you know, reinvesting and compounding has impacted him, especially in the food industry. Right, can you? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it? earlier, uh, I think I discussed how diverse the food industry is in terms yeah. of uh, economies of scale. So the great thing about compounding is that uh, if you're doing value addition, the cost of your goods compared to the final product, there's a really strong uh, margin for that. So essentially, if, let me just give you a real life example where if, if you were to make one batch of my sauce, yeah. By the time you're done selling uh, each unit from that batch, each individual unit, you now have enough to make three, maybe four batches. 
Yeah. Mm. So in terms of reinvestment and compounding what you have, it's there's really huge potential. It just keeps on adding up, yeah. Yeah, literally. And it's not even by one or by two, it's like by ten. Understand what I'm saying? Like because you can really you can grow at your own rate is what I'm trying to say. You get to determine how fast you want to grow. And yeah. the only thing that's limiting you is how you reach your uh, potential market. I mean, honestly, at that point, just keep on going with that steady growth. That one percent becomes two, four, eight, and you find yourself among the bigger players that you talked about. You will need that capital investment. And I don't know. That's just two of the basic industries, but I feel like we've gone across the board a lot. And so that's general information you guys can take out and, you know, go into your various industries and implement it on your own. We'll definitely do a part two of this with two other industries or some more and see where that takes us. But for now, I feel like that's a good place to close. Anything from Eugene, Stan, let us know. Mm. From me, I'd say that don't get discouraged if you want to start something because maybe five, 10 years down the line, you keep saying, I wish, you know, <laughs> because mm-hmm. the kind of progress you can make in just six months, it's amazing. So imagine what you can do in a decade, two decades, you know, 50 years. It's, it's amazing. So don't be your own enemy when it comes to uh, being courageous. Mm. Okay. Yeah, man. I mean, definitely. So... I think Eugene is having some mic issues. But anyways, guys, thank you for tuning in. This has been Void episode two of season three, man. It's really good to be back. And I believe from next episode or sometime this coming weeks, we're going to be doing some of those video podcasts you guys so heavily requested for. So thank you again so much for tuning in, man. It's been great having you guys around. Make sure to look out for the next episode, man. We're going to be here all month, all all year. <laughs> so, yeah, season three, episode two. That's a wrap. Yeah, vibes.